Anybody know who it is? Daft Punk. Nice job, everybody. Daft Punk. Have you guys been there before? Have you been in that spot where you have your phone in the air and like you got the, the, the tingling down your spine? You know what I'm talking about? You got the tingling and, and that little pit in your stomach, right? The lights went out. And all of a sudden, it's like you, you, the band gets on or whoever it might be gets on. And like you just pull out your phone. And you're like, I'm getting this whole thing because it's the most amazing thing I've ever done and seen. And then you high-five the guy next to you. You don't even know him. You're like, yeah. Have you guys done that? Yeah. Half of you are like, no. <laughs> Never. How about sports? Any sports fans in the room? Sports? Good. <laughs> First service, there's like two. And I felt like I was by myself. <laughs> in 99, I went to a Knicks game. And, uh, and the Knicks hit this last second shot, and I'm at the game, and, and I was like 20. And I turn around, and I just hug this dude. Just hug him. He was like 74. He was elderly. And I was like, yes! And you know what he was like? He was like, yes! We were both excited, right? Because what happens is, what happens when you have something a little bit bigger than you, when you have a concert like this or a sporting event, uh, is, is that what you're doing? Is you're worshiping. Do you guys know that? you guys know you're worshiping? Uh, I, I, have a, I, have a, um, I have a picture I want to show you. Uh, take a look at it. It's from 2008. Anybody know what that is in 2008? Yep, it's the inauguration. Presidential inauguration 2008. That's when uh, Barack Obama was first sworn into office as president. And you can say whatever you want. I actually don't really care about your politics. But I can tell you that on this day, this was a pretty important thing. There was a lot of hope that was there. This was a group of people getting together to worship something bigger than themselves. This was worship. Right? You can take that off the screen. What about New York? New York is like, this is New York. You know, we walk around here, we feel like, yeah, you know, this is this energy and there's a lot going on and, and we're here. And then we hear like Frank Sinatra, New York, New York. And then we hear like Taylor Swift, welcome. No, we don't hear that one. But, but you know what I'm saying, like we hear... Um, you know that, and we're like, yeah, we are a part of it, and we are a part of something bigger, and we're a part of something that's greater in this city, and um, and we're worshiping, we're worshiping the city, right? How do you guys worship? What is worship to you guys? I think it's a God-given desire and a God-given right. So when I, you know, showed like Daft Punk and when I have all these other things, I think there's something good about the way we celebrate with other people, the way we celebrate something bigger. Uh, and so we're thankful for worship, right? We're thankful for it. Um, we're in this thankful series and we've talked about uh, why our church does some of the things that we do. We talked about why we, uh, you know, why we do baptism, why we practice confession. We talked about, uh, last week it was why we do Eucharist. And now why do we worship? Why are we thankful for worship. Before we start, we've got to talk about what worship is to us. How many, how many of you grew up in the church? How many of you here? I ask you this a lot, but I have to be reminded. You grew up in the church. How many of you who grew up in the church think worship is the first 20 minutes of a service that we just did? Be honest. It's all right. You're right. The ones of you who are honest and brave enough to raise your hands, you're right. How many of you think it's um, you know, the, 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 the full thing, the full hour and 10 minutes that we're here, right? That's worship. And I would say you're also right. It's true. I have a friend. I have a good friend. You know what he says worship is? He says worship is the thing that you spend most of your energy on and the thing that gives you your greatest anxiety. The place where you spend most of your energy, the place where you have most of your anxiety. I would say that gets us pretty close to what worship is. Because now we've got to think about this for a minute. What gives us, or what uh, do we uh, expend most of our energy on, and what gives us most of our anxiety? Think about it. You got one? It's definitely not the New York Knicks. They don't, I mean, they're not good enough to give me a lot of anxiety. You know, 
concerts like that are great, but do I spend all my energy on that? What gives me anxiety? What is it that I'm worshiping, that we're worshiping? Work. That's a big one, right? So we got power, or we got, we got success at work. I think I, I talk to you guys all the time, and I hear from all of you about work. I'm moving to this job, or I'm trying to get to that level, or I'm trying to do this thing, this, this success piece, right? And it takes up so much of our time, and so I'd say we spend a lot of energy on it. We have a lot of anxiety about it, so I'd say work, or, or success at work. I'll tell you one thing we all worship. You want to know what we all worship? Money. We can't get away from that. None of us. We have a lot of time. We spend a lot of time and energy trying to get money, and then we have a lot of anxiety about getting rid of it, right? Just the way it is. We do. What else do we, what else do we worship? What about, uh, what about beauty? We worship beauty. We have this idea of who we should be or what we should look like or what we should attain to. And so we spend a lot of time trying to, you know, for me, I'm always spending a lot of time trying to make myself a little taller, possibly. But, you know, like, it's something. We all have something, right? We, got, we have a, you know, we want to look this way or that way. And so we spend a lot of time and energy on it. And it also gives us anxiety, Anxiety when we don't think that we're measuring up. Relationships. You want to know why people leave the church? This is a study done. People leave the church because they get into romantic relationships. They've been worshiping God. Everything's great. Somebody else comes along. That person's right in front of them. They could worship that person. So they leave. We worship romantic relationships. Um, I have kids. I know not all of us here have kids, but there is, people worship their kids. People absolutely worship their kids. I will go to the playground, and there will be kids on the monkey bars and parents like this, underneath, <laughs> trying, to, trying to catch them. That's, that's, it's crazy. Just let your kid fall. Um, but it's, we all fell and we all learned, didn't we? And, but that's what I'm saying. Like, the, there's a sense in which like, we spend energy and we have this anxiety over our kids. And, and so we, we worship all these other things. There's this uh, author I love. Uh, his name is David Foster Wallace. And he, he said this a while back. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship is going to eat you alive. Think about the things we talked about, those things that cause us great anxiety. Do they eat us alive? That idea that we have to, um, you know, con- you know and if you're in my generation, we, we have six different careers. Yeah, Not they're wonderful, and then the second they stop gratifying me and stop being wonderful, you know, I'm going to go find another way to wor- another person to worship, somebody else. And we can go right down the list. The way we worship will eat us alive. Here's what David Foster Wallace goes on to say. He says, The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. This is who we are. This is who we are. You know what we've done? We've taken good things. Everything we've talked about today so far is good. And you know what we've done with it? We've made it the ultimate thing. We've taken really, really good things and then we make it the ultimate thing. And if we make it the ultimate thing, of course we're going to spend all our energy there. Of course we're going to have anxiety. Of course it's going to eat us alive. That's just the truth of it. So we want to rescue worship. We want to rescue the idea of worship today. We want to see worship not as just something that happens 20 minutes on a Sunday, although that's not bad. But we want to see why we're thankful to worship day in and day out. And so you know what the beauty of um, reading the Bible is sometimes? It's, you know, I say this to you guys a lot. It's the idea that people have been messed up since the beginning, right? People have been worshiping this way since the beginning. This is nothing new. We're not unique in doing this. You look back at Genesis 1, how does the story go, right? 
It says that, you know, God's there and everything and everybody worships God and it's amazing. And then what does the story say? It says that Adam and Eve, they don't want to worship God anymore. They decide they want to worship themselves. So they eat from the tree, right? That's what it says. And now they can worship themselves. Now they have some power because it's the tree of good and evil and they can now judge people and do all those things, right? From the beginning, we're messing it up. That's how the story goes. So you get to Exodus, and you have this group of Israelites that are freed by slaves, and, uh, and, and God like, literally parts a sea. Can we appreciate that for a second? Like, like a miles-long sea just gets parted, and people walk through it. And it, you know, if that's true, that's incredible. And, and this happens, and then the Israelites forget about that. They go wandering in the desert. Literally, food is falling from the sky. Water's coming out of rocks. And what does God say to them in Exodus 20? He says, hey... Don't have any other gods. Don't have any other gods before me. He has to tell them, like, if you actually want to make it, stop worshiping other gods, please. Because how easily, how easily we, we take the things that are good and we make them the ultimate. We worship the ultimate. And we forget that there might possibly be a God behind it all. Joshua, right? Let's, let's, let's go further along the timeline. Uh, the Israelites, they make it to the promised land and, uh, and they have this really, really great space and everybody's got a, you know, two cars and you know, a picket fence and all the rest. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Joshua has to get them all together, all the Israelites together. And he says to them, guys, worship God in total commitment. Get rid of the gods your ancestors worshipped on the far side of the river and in Egypt. Worship God. And if you decide it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve and do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worship from the country beyond the river, one of the gods of the Amorites whose land you're living, but as for me and my family, we will worship God. And then the people say, so will we. We won't forsake God. We'll do it too. So what's happening here? Well, basically, they come into this new land, and they're worshiping other gods. Pretty obvious. Now, why does this matter? Because everybody's pretty tightly packed in, okay? Uh, so basically, if we were to make this today, it would be like Joshua saying, hey, you can worship the gods of Connecticut, you can worship the gods of New Jersey, or you can worship our god. I don't know why you want to worship anything from Jersey, but that's, what's being, that's sort of what's happening here, right? Uh, I kid, I kid. Um, I don't kid. Um, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, that's, it, it, it's, it's that tightly packed in, and there's all these competing gods, and they're all very close together. And, uh, and what makes these Egyptian gods and these Amorite gods so great? Well, the thing that makes these Egyptian and Amorite gods so great is the fact that, that they're actual, they're, fit, they're physical relics. Okay? The belief is that if you hold on to one of these little statues of these gods, right, you have a little one that you can hold in the palm of your hand, that that god is inhabited in that relic. And so what these Israelites are doing is they're saying, I have this God and it's right here and it's right in front of me and I can hold it and touch it and I can put it in my pocket if I want to. And that's so much easier than worshiping my God because my God is giant and huge and my God left me in a desert for 40 years and I don't feel like I know who that God is or I've even heard from that God really. And so I'm going to hold on to this, this God here that actually jabs me in my leg when I walk and to remind me to worship. That's what they're saying. I think this is timeless. I think this is absolutely timeless. I mean, what do we do? I mean, there's probably half of us in this room right now going, God is distant. 
God is distant. I can't even worship God right now because I have no clue whether or not this God is even involved in my life in any aspect or in any way. God is distant. Like, look at all the things that are happening to me right now. Things are not good. I'm not doing well. God isn't here the way God needs to be here. How can I even worship or give adoration or or say there's something bigger when my life doesn't reflect that? What I'd rather do is take what's right in front of me. At least what's right in front of me, I could put it into my pocket. At least it jabs me in my leg just like my keys do. At least it reminds me that it's around. And so I'm going to go ahead and worship these other things. I'm going to go ahead and worship the the money and the success and all the rest. Because it's there and I can see it and I deal with it daily. I deal with it all the time. And I'd rather put my time into that than to some like nebulous, maybe you're there, maybe you're not God. That's how we feel. So what happens? What happens in, in scripture? How does it all play itself out? Well, God is God, right? And God could be like, forget everybody, I'm wiping you all out. I suppose God could do that if God wanted to. Um, But God goes, huh, people are having a really, really hard time. They're having a hard time understanding who I am. They're having a hard time believing that that I'm around. So maybe I should just come as God incarnate. Maybe if I, I come as human, people can actually see what it is they're worshiping. And so this God says, you know what, I love my people so much, I'm gonna go ahead and come as God incarnate. I'm gonna go ahead and come as Jesus Christ. I'm gonna do it. So Jesus shows up, and what does Jesus do? He says, this is what you're worshiping. You're worshiping a God who's inclusive, who includes everybody, who loves the unlovable. You're worshiping a God that tells people uh, that they're in when all they ever heard is that they were out. You're worshiping a God that shows grace beyond grace beyond grace. That's what you're worshiping, and it's happening right here through me. And of course, we see that, and we go, oh, we want to kill you, because that's what we do. And, um, and so, you know, this God says, okay, I love you so much, then I'm going to go ahead and die. My, my human self is going to go ahead and die, and then I'm going to be resurrected to show you how much I love. Can you worship that? Can you worship that? Here I am. Worship me. So what happens? 50 years. 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, we see Paul's letters to the Romans. And what does Paul say to the Romans? 50 years after Jesus shows up, 50 years after, after John 1 says Jesus is the beginning, right? And this beautiful language of, of Jesus being uh, you know, God incarnate, this is what it says in Romans. It says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, you're going down the path once again. 50 years after Jesus shows up, you're going down the path again where you're forgetting you're forgetting. You'd rather do other things. This is what it says uh, for the church at Corinth. It says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me, there are quarrels. And what I mean is one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, Apollos. Another says, Cephas. Another says, I follow Christ. We forget. We forget. God, you know, Jesus, that was 50 years ago. What's in front of us? What's right here in front of us right now? What is it? If we were to take that part of scripture, we might say, you know, uh, guys, brothers and sisters, there's some issues. Some say you follow Christ. Others say you follow money. Others say you follow whatever. Joel Osteen, I don't know. Just making it up now. Whatever it is you're going to follow. That's what it would sound like. And I think there's some truth to that. We don't believe that there's a God who is involved in our lives. We don't believe there's a God who's there. And maybe if there was a God who was involved in our lives at one point and we attributed that one thing to God or those few things to God, well, God hasn't shown up lately, so how can I attribute it now? So I'm going to worship something else, what's right in front of me. We take the things that are good and we make them the ultimate. So how do we fix this? How do we become thankful for worship? 
I want to look at the word worship. That's what I want to do, and I think that's how we're going to be thankful. When we look at the word worship, the word is uh, proskaneo. Okay, proskaneo. It's the Greek word for worship used in the New Testament. I expect all of you to know it and to be able to talk about it right after we're done and say it the right way. Proskaneo. What does proskaneo mean? Well, if we're going to literally translate the word proskaneo, it means a kiss toward. A kiss toward. That's what it means. So when, when you're reading the New Testament and you see the word worship, basically what everybody's saying is you are kissing toward. Now, what has been done with that? Well, what's been done with it is, uh, is we've kind of taken this kiss toward and, and we've kind of turned it around to fit us, to help us. Uh, my wife and I, we went to India about three years ago. We took our kids. Our kids were like three and two at the time. And we took our kids and uh, it, was, it was great. It was hilarious. My wife was born in India and can speak a little bit of her native language, but people still made fun of her anyway. Um, I couldn't even speak anything, so I got made fun of like just nonstop. Plus, I'm so so pale, so they made fun of that. And um, when we went, uh, we went to this shrine. It was called the Shrine of St. Thomas, and it was uh, dedicated to the disciple Thomas. Some of you guys know him as Doubting Thomas, right? And so uh, we went to this shrine, and the story is that, that Thomas was the one that brought Christianity to southern India. So we're there, and we have our kids who are three and two at the time. We're holding them in our arms. And as our kids are there, uh, what ends up happening is people start doing this whole proskuneo thing, this kiss toward. What they do is, is they come and they sort of like bow to, to our kids. And then they like start touching our kids, like grabbing the, our kids' feet or like trying to kiss our kids or touch our kids. And my wife and I are like, we're holding our kids and we're like doing one of these and like trying to figure out what we're going to do. And then somebody came up to us and somebody said, you know, in this culture... Uh, light-skinned Indian kids are considered to be like gods, inhabited by gods. And um, I don't know, they're my three and two. They still weren't out of diapers. So so I I was just like, no, no, you know, this is weird and creepy. Um, And then, you know, Anyway, so we, we figured that out, and that was like how sort of, what I'm trying to say is this is how we kind of use this proskuneo, right? We, we, we kind of bow and we kind of kiss toward, but we bow and kiss toward still that thing that's right in front of us. It's still there, right? So, uh, you know, when you look at history, when you look at feudalism or when you look at kings, you don't have to watch Game of Thrones to know that when you pledge loyalty to them, you bow and you kiss, right? Or, or um, you know, all throughout history, to show class or sub, uh, to be subservient, you bow and you kiss the person that's in the class ahead of you. Um, you know, slaves and masters, you bow and you kiss. And it's, it has this really, like, distorted way about it. it. has distorted connotation. So I wanted to do some research. So I do some research on this proskuneo. And I found out that, that when it would be, be said, when it was said, it's true, you would bow. And this kiss toward wasn't a kiss towards what was directly in front of you. It was actually a looking beyond or looking up, or looking over. I thought this was really interesting. So when people saw this, they would say, I'm not going to look at, at what's right in front of me. What I'm really worshiping, what I'm really acknowledging, what I really care about, is what's behind that thing. What's behind it. Which becomes really, really interesting. You know, so let's talk about kissing. You could kiss somebody, and when you kiss somebody, you're not going, you know what, I want to see what my lips feel like on that person's skin. That's not what you do. Right? You're saying, I'm kissing this person because there's, there's a relationship there. There's an emotional connection. There's an affection that I want to show. There's something behind the kiss. When you hold somebody's hand, you're not holding your hand you know, because you're like, oh, they better not run in the street. No, you're doing it 
Because there's a fidelity to that person. You care about that person. You love that person. There's something behind that hand-holding. When you get food and it's put in front of you and you go, ooh, and then you take a picture of it and post it to Instagram, <laughs> you're not doing that because you're like, well, I'm going to post this picture to Instagram so everybody can see I got my nutrients for the next 16 hours. You know, that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because there's artistry and beauty and somebody thought that up and made that and there's something behind it, beyond it. Right? At a Daft Punk concert. You're not like throwing your hands in the air because you want to like loosen up your arms, you know? You're you're not you're not screaming because you want you know you want to get your vocal cords nice and loose. You know, me, 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 you're not doing one of those, right? You are doing this because there's something behind it. You appreciate the musician. I said this first service. Is musicianship even a word? I don't even know. Yeah, you appreciate that, whatever it is, you appreciate it. You appreciate that, you appreciate the fact that, that people work hard, that they have a talent, that it's incredible. There is something beyond what is right in front of you. And so when we're proskuneo, when we posture, when we bow, and when we kiss toward, we're looking beyond what's right in front of us. We're looking to the source, to the ultimate. And what is that source? What is that ultimate? It's a God who we pray every week does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So is it possible that there's this God right beyond this thing that we're looking at, worshiping the source, doing exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine? And if so, is that worth our time? Is that worth worship? When we look at at success at work, I think success at work is probably a really good thing. As long as we say we're going to kiss towards, we're going to look beyond that to the source of that work, which is a God who says, I'm giving you the wherewithal and the stamina and whatever else you need to be successful. And is it possible that even in the really, really difficult times when we're looking straight on and we go, we can't worship because we don't have the job we want or whatever is happening, is it possible we can kiss towards and look beyond and say, maybe, just maybe I can worship a God who might know what's going on a little bit better than I do? Is it possible that when we think about you know, uh, uh, money, money's okay, you know, it's hard, but it's okay. Is it possible that we see money, we don't worship it, but we look just a little bit further back to a God that says, every good thing I have, everything good, every good thing you have comes from my hand. Is it possible we can kiss toward, not what's in front of us, but to the source, to the ultimate? So how do we worship then? If that's the case, then how do we worship? Well, this opens it up, right? This brought into the category a little bit. Now we can worship in some really interesting ways because if we're not looking at what's right in front of us, if we're looking what's beyond to the source, kissing towards that, then every boring, mundane thing we do throughout life can actually be an act of worship. It can. Everything we see that we take for granted, every situation we're in can actually be an act of worship. I mean, we can talk about us like we woke up this morning. Right, And I think most of us wake up this morning, and if you're like me, I'm not a morning person. I'm sort of angry. But you can do that, or you can say, well, maybe this was, you know, maybe this was the grace of God, like resting me for another day. What if I look beyond what's right in front of me? And maybe this is a bit of a stretch, I don't know, but you're sitting in the shower, and you know, you just ran out of Irish Spring, but you got just barely enough left or whatever. And what if you're just like, not like, I'm just showering, but like, what if you're like, this is like a metaphorical baptism from God. 
like prepping me for the journey that today will be, like walking with me. Like what if we're looking beyond just the mundane, the boring, the coffee and bagels that we just ate? What if, what if they're not just that? What if they're, they're God's gift to us for what may ever come ahead? All of a sudden you could take these boring, mundane little parts of your life and say, I'm going to look beyond this. I'm going to kiss towards a God who is orchestrating and at work in ways that are beyond my imagination. That I can worship. That I can get behind means that when we walk out these doors today and you walk through and you see people who are listening to different types of music and speaking different languages and, and that look differently and when we like, you know, walk past Barclays and we think about what happens there, when we go to like the West Forest stop and like there's a crazy basketball game going on or, or, or when we go to like MoMA or wherever, we can say, you know what, I'm not worshiping what's directly in front of me. I'm actually worshiping the fact that all this is happening because there is a God doing exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine through this stuff. That's worth worshiping. How about as a church? As a church, you guys were right before. You know, we do come together and singing is worship. It's worship. You know, the message is worship and the scripture is worship. It's all worship. But what are we worshiping? Are we just here to kind of stand around? Or are we like, you know what, there's something behind this. There's something that matters behind this. There is a kiss towards a God who's behind everything that happens here today. And here's what all of us being here does. All of us being here, it helps us to remind one another. Because the truth of the matter is, we're going to show up here at this church sometimes, and we're going to be like, I don't feel God in my life. I just don't feel it. I'm not up for worshiping. I'm not up for this stuff. And you know what we're here? When we're here, it matters. It matters because, you know, you might have to see what's in front of you. You might be struggling. But the person next to you, they may be like, hey, hey, a kiss toward. Look up. Look beyond. Look to the source. Look to something bigger. It matters when you're here. We remind one another that there is a God that goes beyond what's right in front of us to the source. You know what I also love about us being here? I love the fact that this just is, is you know, this is not just happening in our little community. It's not. It's, I, I love waking up and thinking that, you know what? Five, six hours ago, there was a community in Botswana that did the same exact thing, that reminded each other in the same exact way. Or 12 hours ago, there was a community in Osaka, Japan, or in Sydney, Australia, or wherever, that got together and reminded one another of the same thing. Everybody got into this posture, and, and they didn't look at what was in front of them. They looked beyond to, to the source, to a God who was doing exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine, and it was happening there too. And it's happening in San Francisco right now. People are starting to have their first services. And it's happening you know, here in Brooklyn, and at our forefront in Manhattan, and at Renaissance Church up in Harlem. It's happening where everybody gets together, everybody says there is a God that's behind all this and God has given us all these good things and God is the ultimate. So what if we walked out here today and we practiced proskuneo? Instead of bowing, kissing towards whatever's right there, what if we just pick our heads up a little bit, look a little bit beyond it? What would we see? Be surprised, be more hopeful, be a little bit afraid, possibly. I think we'd see God at work in some surprising ways, ways that are bigger than we could even ask or imagine. You guys stand with me. So there's this prayer. 
and we don't know for sure, but it, it, we think it could be have, it could have been written by David. Um, and if if so, it's really interesting because David's in this really bad situation where he's being chased and trying to be killed by Saul, um, and he sort of kind of takes this posture of like, yeah, this is what's happening right in front of me, but there's a God who's behind all this, and this is what he writes. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray this, and you guys pray with me the words in bold, all right? Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen.